everyone happy new year to uh, everybody this is the last podcast of 2020 um the weird wild year that 2020 was uh we hope you enjoyed last week's episode that's going to be our new christmas tradition uh two jews hanging out on christmas day that is going to be for the third year running we had a really fun time with that you know in the course of the last week the nba opened up again and it feels like the nba just shut down and that's weird because i'm not necessarily ready for the nba to be back but it's back and it's very very different than the bubble and we're going to talk about all of that. Uh, our next guest, I've known our next guest uh, for a while. Uh, we were Nets people together. He was covering the Nets when he was, they were in New Jersey. Um, he's a, uh, he was a beat reporter for the, the Brooklyn Nets. But now he's launched this really cool new news, bleh, this really cool new newsletter. Say that 10 times fast. I also has a website and much, much more. Anthony Puccio is with us here on Sports with Friends. Anthony, it's great to reconnect. Thanks so much for doing this. Seth, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And the NBA is back indeed, whether you're ready or not. It must be weird now because they're not in the bubble. They're all in their arenas. And I don't understand how it's working. Like, you're going to have to explain this to me. How does this make sense financially for them to have this many games? I know they make a lot of money from television, but not every team does. Yeah, I mean, look, <clears throat> if, if they didn't play this season, there would have been an issue with the CBA. Now, you look at what's going on with the NFL and what has happened this season with the pandemic, a lot of players getting sick, obviously, and things like that. Uh, it's, it's obviously alarming for the NBA and for every other sport, for that matter, that's going to follow that same model where – they're not in a bubble and they are, you know, in their respective cities and they're traveling and they're doing this, that, and the other thing. But uh, look, you know, the NBA has placed very strict protocols. You know, James Harden was the first player to get, to get a fine. He, like, he got a like six hours in six yeah, hours I, in a guy got positive for COVID. That, that's yeah. Hard. Yeah. And, and that was the first game that was postponed was the Houston Rockets and Oklahoma city thunder. So, um, you know, the way I see it is, you know, the NBA, they kind of form a brotherhood the way they did in the bubble. If they all do properly follow protocols, everything should be okay. But I mean, look, we have a long season ahead of us. Um, and I think that's why the NBA did schedule only one half of the season, you know, 36 games so that they can pivot. They give themselves some room to adjust if games are postponed, like the Thunder and Rockets game. You know, whereas, again, and I don't like to compare sports because it's a little bit of a different context, but the NFL's had a bit of a hard time finding that contingency plan with postponing events. So I think they've done a good job so far. But, Seth, I mean, you know, we're only one week into the season, so we'll have well, to see but, how it goes. And to the NFL's defense, they haven't canceled anything. They've gotten all their games in. Yeah, they've postponed them and played them on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and all these random days. But I, I've been very impressed with the fact that they're actually going to have – every team having played 16 games. I, I, I didn't think they could pull it off. Well, Seth, you gotta, I think you should talk to the Broncos fans that, uh, that well, the didn't Broncos got screwed. We did a whole podcast. We, it, I think episode, <laughs> I want to say two thirteen. we did a whole thing on the Broncos got screwed. I thought the Cleveland Browns got screwed. Did, There's yeah. no reason, you know, if you want to find players and you want to, you know, James Harden's a great example. You find them, that's fine, but don't play games when you're compromising your competition. Right. The Broncos completely got screwed, and so did the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you don't know how that derails the season, right? I mean, the whole the Browns' whole season essentially depended on that game. Now they're in a must-win situation in in this final week. So, right. If they uh, don't make the playoffs, they could they could argue could I have at least played on Tuesday and gotten some of those players back? Right. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, tell us about the association. It's a it's a new uh, website, a newsletter. Tell me about it. The association is exciting. It's 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 a newsletter that we come out with 3 p.m. Eastern time. And basically, we touch on the hottest topics of the day. Um, so you're not receiving 800 emails in the morning. You're not receiving an email when you're sleeping or trying to watch the games at night. You know, we're talking all everything hoops, original reporting, the hottest news, uh, you know, breaking news. We, we jump into the history of things. Uh, so really what the association is, is, is trying to grasp some of that traditional media that we saw from newspapers and kind of bring it to the future a little bit. We know how the media landscape is headed towards digital. People get their highlights and all their latest news from Twitter or a lot of online sources. So, you know, it's kind of a mix between, yeah, somewhat of a newspaper-esque type of thing, but also it's in your email, it's online, you have cool graphics, and it's not just one story. You're getting five, six, seven, eight different stories, again, on the hottest topics of the day or whatever the news around the association. This, this what I like to call the greatest drama in, in the world, you know, coming out that day and in addition to all that stuff you know i like to say because it isn't just a newsletter it's it's an interactive community so on monday and thursdays i go live on twitter and fans have a chance to you know ask their questions and have their voices heard um we go back and forth on live chats and things like that with emailing instagram and twitter and you know really just trying to set take traditional media, bring it to the modern age and give fans a voice. Um, translate that NBA Twitter and NBA Twitter world and bring that to life, combine them two and let them clash to make for what's really just at the end of the day, fun, good NBA content. Well, I mean, my, my initial reaction is, is that, you know, this is the kind of forward thinking uh, stuff that journalists have been doing because, you know, print journalism is under attack. Yeah. I mean, the radio industry is under attack as well. I, I mean, we, we, there's, there's two things there. Um, there's this idea, this woe is me mentality, or there's doing what you're doing, which is literally, I'm not going to search around and travel the country and just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to rest on my laurels and just hope that some print outlet is going to hire me. You're trying to create your own media outlet and do it the way you can uh, I applaud you for it. I, I, I've seen it. I've seen people have great success with it. I've seen people fail with it. So I'm not I, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up you. But the one thing that you you recognize is um, trying to be different in a sport where players say everything. I have a joke about NBA insiders, which is if you want to know anything that's going on in the NBA, just ask them because all the players are like sieves. Whereas, you know, I come from a baseball background where there's some legitimate journalism going on because you got to find the right players that'll talk and it's not as not as easy. Yeah. The, the, the players have their own voices. And I do want to ask you about Kyrie Irving because I thought he was really obnoxious when he called the media their pawns. Yeah. But the thing that bothers me, I think, is that he's right. 
is because the media is this conduit. So the idea that a player can embrace something and embrace a new form of media is a great challenge that you have upon you because these players talk all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, again, with that, it's, it's, and kind of bouncing off of your point, it's, it's, you know, are we going to dwell and sit in what's not working or can we, you know, can we adapt and adjust and see what works? And I think that goes for everything in life, right? You know, um, how, how can you, how can you make the best out of a situation? How can you fix, okay, if, if nobody wants to read the newspaper or people don't want to read 2000 words on, you know, Kyrie Irving or John Morant getting hurt last night, then you can go to this newsletter and you'll get all the important information and it'll be done in one minute. You know, it's, it's in 200 words or less. So again, kind of trying to find the problem from the past or, or what the issue is. And, and to me, just from my perspective as a reader, as a writer, uh, people's attention spans aren't as, as you know, they, they, they don't want to read those 2000 word articles anymore. You know, they want what's important, what happened, why it's important, the highlight, you know, and, and that's kind of what we're bringing to the table. And, and you know, I, I like to put it as, you know, a TLDR, you know, too long, I didn't read it. So you go to the newsletter, you have it in your inbox, and it's free. And again, you don't want to read those long form articles. You don't want to have to pay for the newspaper. Then, you know, it's one of those things where you just, you have to adjust with the media landscape. And I think that's what the association does really well. More with Anthony Puccio in just a moment. This interesting NBA talk just getting started. It's also a big week 17 in the National Football League. So many games have so many playoff implications. We bring on the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. Patrick, it's our last segment of 2020. Wow. Who would have thought we would have made it this far? Happy holidays, Seth. <laughs> yes, happy holidays to you, too. Uh, this week, week 17, there are all kinds of teams that have clinched, but you know, you have all the games on Saturday. There's no Thursday night. There's no Monday night football. You have one late game, the uh, Washington Philadelphia matchup, and that's for the NFC East, even though both teams are pretty terrible. Let's start there. Oh yeah. It's uh wow. Uh, Washington football team sans Dwayne Haskins, who, uh, you know, two strikes and you're out there in Washington. Uh, kind of an unfortunate ending there. It's it's, it, but you know what? Deserved because as bad as that team has been, as bad as that division has been, here is Washington with a chance. Uh, and it's it's kind of disappointing to see a, a season like that uh, end for that player. But you know the rest of the football team moves on. They are two point road favorites at Bovada. Uh, the Eagles getting slightly more uh, money in that spot. Opportunity for them to play spoiler. Uh, interesting game. Uh, you know, somebody has to come out of the NFC East. Uh, you know, actually, I, I quite hope that it would be Dallas. But, uh, you know, uh, this, this is where we're at. Uh, I can't imagine whoever is coming out of that NFC East is going uh, much further than that one and out. Well, you know, and it's funny because Washington clinches the NFC East with a win or a Dallas loss or tie and Washington ties. Uh, they're, they're not going to tie. Dallas wins the NFC East with a victory over the New York Giants and a Washington loss. Basically, if the Eagles beat the beat Washington, then the winner of Cowboys Giants wins the NFC. And that means Cowboys Giants is 
potentially a massive game, but both teams are so terrible that in reality, if Washington wins, neither team comes near the playoffs. Yeah, so uh, of you know of the three teams in the NFC East that can make it in, again, we're not expecting good things for really any of them. But uh, for what it's worth, we do have Dallas and Annie Dalton to be ever so slightly the best of those three teams. So if there was any hope that they could have any kind of playoff success, it would be the Red Rocket there in Dallas. I think Washington's too banged up. Alex Smith is a great story, but whoever they have under center there is not taking them much further than perhaps division crown. Uh, Giants have looked pretty interesting uh, the second half of the season, but uh, again, some question marks at QB there. One of the marquee matchups in the NFL is over in the AFC where the Steelers take on the Browns. Now, the Browns had that tough loss to the New York Jets of all teams. They have all kinds of combinations where they can clinch a playoff spot if they win, they're in, or if Indianapolis loses, or if Tennessee and Miami loses. Cleveland has chances to get in. They could have clinched a playoff berth last week. They didn't. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh did. They clinched the AFC North. Yeah, bizarre second half of the season for Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, they started off 11-0. Uh, offense has really struggled. A lot of drop passes. Roethlisberger not able to play action, not as mobile. Not that he was ever a speedy guy by any means, but the, there's really uh, not a lot of surprise in that offense. Uh, you know, he hasn't looked as good. He certainly looked his age. He's uh, His receivers aren't doing him any help, but that defense has kept him in. And hey, the good thing about having 11 wins is you can have these growing pains at the end of the season and, uh, you know, still figure it out as you go. Cleveland Browns, uh, gosh, really tough scenario for them. Uh, last week against the Jets. Otherwise, you know, if they're healthy going to that game, playing all their starters on offense, uh, that well, <laughs> the Jets, you know, that's... That makes me laugh uh, just thinking about the Jets and the fact that they're now on the outside of the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. But uh, yeah, it's just a bizarre game, uh, even towards the end uh, with the live betting on that. It reminded me of the Raiders game uh, where I was just, how are the Jets going to lose this? And uh, the Browns kind of look like the historical Browns a little bit, just getting in their own way. Yeah, they had those issues there. Can still make it in with a win over Pittsburgh. But, uh, yeah, you know, they've got some things to figure out there. I was low on the Browns when the season started. Uh, you know, I kind of came around a little bit. I still don't think they're particularly great. I think if they do make it into the playoffs, they are probably not going far, though. Then the Miami Dolphins take on the Buffalo Bills up in Orchard Park. Uh, this game, again, is, this is when it stinks. They're working on trying to get fans into the stadium, but an empty Buffalo, this would have been a massively loud place to play. Miami needs the game. They clinch a playoffs berth with a win unless the Ravens lose or Cleveland loses or Indianapolis loses. Uh, basically, they're in. And for Buffalo, they're the AFC Divi East Division champs for the first time since 1995. Yeah, crazy times. The Buffalo Bills are the AFC East champs. The Patriots are going to have a losing record and will be on the outside looking in this year. Uh, and you know what? The Bills, uh, again, another team that I was probably down on uh, to start the season. I thought they would take a bit of a step back. Uh, you know, they got to the playoffs last year. They had that game against the Texans. But ultimately, I didn't think uh, they were going to be that good. Uh, I got to say, Stefan Diggs really, really lit up uh, Josh Allen. And the way they play off each other, uh, the way Diggs is able to extend routes uh, in a way that you don't really see from too many other wide receivers in the league. Uh, you know, and you've seen the flip side of that, which is how bad that uh, Minnesota Vikings offense has been this year. So uh, as someone who grew up in Toronto, a stone's throw away from the Ralph, uh, 
it's awesome to see the Bills do as well as they are. Uh, for the Dolphins, some question marks there. They uh, really needed to eke one out against the Raiders. I kind of think, uh, looking back at that Raiders-Dolphins game from the Saturday night, uh, boy, did that look uh, a little bit like the end of Jets-Raiders. Uh, you had to face mask a QB and uh, somehow get blown coverage on a duck of a Hail Mary just to get into field goal range to win that. I mean, you know, we talked about the Browns looking like the old Browns. Boy, did that look like the old Raiders finding a way to, uh, you know, snatch defeat from the claws of victory. Uh, interesting that Tua got pulled. Uh, you know, I think that shows flexibility in Flores, although I, I really don't know what, uh, how large of a leash Tua is going to have going forward. He's certainly the QB of the future. But, uh, man, it is curious to see. Again, that's another one of those teams at 66-1 to 1 at Bavada. We don't have the Dolphins going very far, or not expecting them to, and they're also currently three-point underdogs in that game against the Bills. Indianapolis, who can clinch the AFC South with a victory and a, and a Tennessee loss, um, or they can win, a, make the playoffs with a Baltimore loss. They take on lowly Jacksonville, who has clinched the top spot in the NFL draft. Yeah, congratulations to you, the Jacksonville Jaguars, for winning the Trevor Lawrence sweepstake. Uh, our sincere condolences to Trevor Lawrence. Uh, but the Indianapolis Colts, they should not have any problems this weekend with the Jaguars, uh, even though the Jaguars could win and still secure that number one overall pick. Uh, the Colts are 14-point favorites at home uh, at the current updated odds at Bovada. And we're seeing about 50% of the action on both sides. Yeah, Colts are looking pretty good. Man, that was, uh, you know, we, we talk about live betting a lot and the prominence of uh, how much that has gone from being an afterthought or one of the, you know, sideshows of betting to really making up 50% of the betting handle. And boy, did we, uh, you know, take it on the chin a little bit with that Steelers comeback against the Colts on Sunday. The Colts jumped out to that three touchdown lead. And we were able to get the Steelers as high as 10 to 1 to come back and win that game. And that was tasty for a lot of players. And, you know, maybe that will be the win the Steelers need to kind of get them back on track a little bit. But boy, that was uh, trying to think of the over under total age of those two QBs out there. But got to be approaching 80 between the two of them. Yeah, it's going to be a wild one. But again, Indianapolis needs to needs the win and they need help if they're going to get in. Also, the college football playoff. It's here. It's upon us. There's a bunch of bowl games. We're going to, you know, Bavada had its odds for all of them, but we're going to cover the two CFP uh, games, including the Citrus Bowl, top-ranked Alabama, and number four seed Notre Dame. I, this, this, this line can't, no offense to Notre Dame, but Alabama's on a different stratosphere. Yeah, and this is, you know, I... I, I look at this Notre Dame-Alabama game, and I'm, I'm thinking if this was EA college, uh, EA NCAA football, I would just hit the super sim on this and, you know, let's move on. Uh, I don't think there's going to be much to see. I think it's going to be very reminiscent of the last time Alabama played Notre Dame. Uh, the spread's a lot higher, but I think the result's going to be the same. Uh, currently, Alabama is a 20-point favorite in the national semifinal. Uh, who, who's getting excited about that? Uh, but we got to put a line out there and currently 65% of all bets at, at Bovada are on the Crimson Tide to absolutely roll Notre Dame in that game. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly excited for it. I think Ohio State Clemson will be great, but uh, you know, we, we've got to find a way to uh, you know revamp this 14 playoff. I think, you know, yeah, Coastal Carolina lost against Liberty. A lot of people that defend the playoffs say, ah, well, there you go. Um, I, it's, it's kind of a bummer that we slogged through this college football season and we've talked about, uh, you know, 
the problem of amateur athletics and, uh, with the backdrop of COVID. To see a game like Notre Dame-Alabama in the semis, you know, I think we're going to get a great national championship game, but that's, I mean, I, I don't even really want to tune into that one, to be quite honest, Seth. Well, to tell you the truth, there are some that'll debate whether Ohio State should even be in it, and I understand, you know, they just didn't play enough games, but they're in it, and uh, come hell or high water, they're going to be there against Clemson, and uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for Clemson in that one, and uh, yeah, Alabama-Clemson has a chance to be great, but... Uh, Alabama just looks like they're head over heels above the other schools. And uh, maybe I'm wrong, but that's why you play the games. And, and Notre Dame's not even actually in this conversation at all. If they don't have that game against right. a Trevor Lawrence list Clemson, Clemson yeah, team uh, a few months back. So, you know, again, we talked about how COVID has impacted this. I mean, now it's not like Notre Dame's going to, you know, turn this into a championship by any means. They will be done after New Year's Day, but uh, it is interesting for all those other teams that are on the outside looking in, whether it was Cincinnati, whether it was Coastal Carolina, whether it was Texas A&M, you know, again, but Texas A&M got rolled by Alabama. Like, I I don't know the best way to solve this when you have a team as good as Alabama. And I'm with you, I'm rooting for Clemson over Alabama as well. Clemson currently a seven and a half point favorite uh, versus Ohio State. And about 80% of the action on Clemson. Uh, so there's a lot more back in Clemson than they are in Alabama. Again, that's a pretty big Alabama price. That's Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada. You can check out Bovada.lv for all the odds on all those bowl games. Now more NBA talk with Anthony Puccio. How did you get involved in basketball you were you were in journalism and you could have gotten any beat what was it that attracted you to basketball and was it literally just somebody assigned it to you and you embraced it you know Seth people have asked me that question my whole life and and most I only ask unique questions scratch the whole thing yeah sorry you know I don't mean to insult you but (laughs) (laughs) but Actually, you know, most people or a lot of people do go to journalism and then figure out what path they want to take. For me, uh, look, I, you know, I was six years old. My dad had gotten season tickets to the New Jersey Nets when they when Jason hey. traded to the team. And, you know, look, they were cheap tickets. We were coming from Queens. You were six years old when Jason Kidd got acquired? Yeah, by the Nets. You're making me feel a hundred. Uh, I covered that goddamn game. Oh, my God. Uh, this is unbelievable. I'm sorry, Seth. I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know. Kids, they're constantly invading my podcast. <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we, we started going to games when I was six, seven years old. He had season tickets. The Nets made that improbable run. And, and yep. I fell in love with basketball. And, and I played at a competitive level my whole life. Um, so when I hit high school. You know, I had dealt with some hardships in my life. My dad got sick and couldn't return to work. And, mm. you know, I was, I was losing my house and things like that. So at a very young age, I kind of had to grow up a little earlier. And the one thing I loved in life was basketball. So I said, uh, I love basketball and I watch every game. So I might as well just write about it, you know. So I circled around. I emailed a lot of people, you know, uh, Frank Isola being one of them and, and, and just, I just asked for advice at a very young age, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. Uh, I wasn't asking for a job. I wasn't asking. I just, I just wanted to know, you know, how, how can I be a better writer? Uh, You know, what are things that I could do? And I would send literally Microsoft word samples to them. 
over the years, um, I had gotten in touch with the right person who was Tom Lorenzo, who was a, a site manager for netsdaily.com that was at SB Nation and Vox Media. And I was 18 years old and, and you know, he had seen a couple of years of me working on my own, writing about basketball. Um, I obviously majored in communications and journalism at St. John's. You know, I did get that degree, but um, a lot of my experience and how I got into this was that I just loved the game and somebody gave me that opportunity. Somebody was able to give me that season credential. And, you know, here I am seven, eight years later. Uh, I started when I was 18. I'm 25 now. Wow. I'm out of the beat writing game, but now I'm talking about the whole NBA. So it was really just about finding you know, what my passion was and, and, and trying to put two and two together. You know where I think I know you from? I taught at St. John's. St. John's? I taught a broadcasting class. Really? You, did you, let me, let me get ask this. Did you have Mark Renee as a teacher? No, I know Mark Renee because he's just a great guy. Mark uh, got me and, and hooked and, up and I taught, I taught there for like three or four years, 2011, 2011 through 2014. So you were right before me. I, wow. I went to St. John's 2016. I, I got my okay. undergrad there. That's I did so Nassau funny. Community College, NYU, and then I transferred and finished at St. John's. That's so funny. Get my teacher. I did take broadcasting, though. And yeah, that's so funny. Get my teacher's name. But yeah, I mean, you know, maybe uh, along the way. Uh, yeah, no, I taught at uh, St. John's. Now I'm teaching at Syracuse and I taught at uh, Seton Hall. So I, I just made my way around the old Big East. Three rival schools. Three rivals, yes. Unbelievable. Yes. And I remember in St. John's, I'll tell you a good story about that. I had to teach for the week. There was a class where you had to write 30 to 60 second uh, recaps of a game, do a rap with a soundbite. And that week, Syracuse had pummeled St. John's in basketball. And I gave that as the assignment. So. <laughs> So for like an hour, they all had to play me these 30 to 60 second clips going Syracuse crushed this is the, the red storm. <laughs> and I did it just to be a jerk. I'm sure your class loved you. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Oh my God. That was so fun. <laughs> this portion of sports with friends is brought to you by Elocance. Elocance is your audio superpower because it helps you get through all the things you don't have time to read. Wait a minute. I don't have a lot of time to read many things. Elocance is an app that turns articles, emails, and documents into audio podcasts instantly. You can take articles stuck in your browser windows, and I have plenty. All my sports articles, all my superhero articles, even some Prince articles I haven't even read yet. Elocance turns them into audio, so if I'm driving, if I'm editing... I've been blocking out time to exercise. That's another topic altogether. There are so many services out there that take audio and turn them into text. This does the exact opposite. It says here you should listen to them while you're running. Clearly they don't know me. I only run when chased. Listen to a PDF document while in the car, doing things around the house. Give your eyes a break from your screen by listening instead of reading. There's even a Chrome extension so you can add articles and web pages directly to your app. You can find Elecance in the App Store or Google Play for iOS or Android if that's your drug of choice. It's spelled E L O C A N C E. 
Download the app now. Start listening on the go. Check out Elecans. And now, back to Sports with Friends. And you mentioned the, the 2002 NBA Finals. And I remember, first of all, 02 and 03. The, the, first of all, the Devils won the Stanley Cup. And that was the year that Jersey like had the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals in that uh, Meadowlands Arena where I went when I was a kid. And I'm older than you. Uh, the Meadowlands and my favorite story from the NBA finals when they, the year they played the Lakers. So was that the first year or the second year? That was the first year. That was all one of two. Yeah. So they play in the Lakers and Fox sports radio asked me to go to these games. And I, you know, I I've had a checkered pass with the NBA. I used to work for the Seattle supersonics. Um, and I go to these games and I'm standing at the tunnel to go into where the club, uh, the, the locker rooms are, because I'm going to try to get somebody on the Lakers to put their, to take my phone and go on a radio show. I'll go on Fox sports radio. That was literally the job. And I'm standing outside and I see this guy standing behind me and I swear to God, he looks familiar. And I'm like, do I know you? And I go, did you go to Marlboro high school? Like, where do I know you from? Cause I'm from Jersey. So like, there's a really good chance that I went to high school with somebody and I'm going through the whole Jewish geography. I'm doing, did you go to Syracuse? You know, I lived in Denver. So I, did you live in Denver, Seattle, blah, 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 blah. It was so stupid. And I just go, I swear to God, I know you. And he literally goes, I was on Melrose place. It was Andrew shoe. <laughs> It was the guy from Melrose Place, and I'm asking him if he if, if he's like my in my gym class or some <laughs> stupid thing. I was so mortified, and then the clubhouse, the locker room opens, and we went into the locker room, and I, it was just so dumb. And that's my takeaway from the NBA final. Like you remember this as Richard Jefferson and Kenyon Martin and Jason Kidd, and all I remember is I met the guy from Melrose Place and made an ass of myself. <laughs> So stupid. <laughs> hey, at least you found out who it was. You know, the worst feeling in the world is when you think you know somebody and then you, right. don't, you just don't figure it out. Well, I always, you never know. And I'm, I see all these people like, you know, it, it, it was such a random thing. And like, he couldn't have been, like, I didn't think he was famous. I just thought he was a guy I knew. I don't know. It was very, very, very strange. Um, you know, we talked about COVID and, and basketball. Uh, one of the things that I have always wondered about, and one of my biggest criticisms of the NBA has been competition. Recently, there have been four straight seasons where going into the season, you knew who was going to be in the finals. It was going to be Cleveland and Golden State. Uh, before then, it was other teams. Uh, it's, it's not a surprise that, that that's happened beyond. And my, my concern um, is that the NBA doesn't care about its lower half that it really only cares about 10 teams and their national games are so important to their success that as long as the TNT double header has four quality teams, they could care less about a uh, Portland. I'm just throwing, you know, random teams out, you know, a Portland Orlando Tuesday night in November, like they don't care about those things. And what I've wondered, because in the bubble, I was very impressed with the balance. You know, you got, you had Miami and you had Denver make a run. And like, there were these other teams that could, that could do it. Do you think the NBA is conscious of that? Do you think the NBA doesn't care about the bad teams? Uh, 
you know, Seth, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I think that maybe I would, I would agree a little bit more with you, but I think last year and, and even to your point about the bubble, you know, uh, we saw the trickle effect. There was, it seemed like there was a huge restructure in the NBA and, and it started with breaking up these big three teams. Like, We've seen them throughout history and you could pick apart, you know, big three in Chicago or whatever it might be. But really, from what I remember, the first time I saw a team get organized and put these guys together was Boston in 2007, I believe, when it was Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, Ray sure. Allen, Ray John Rondo. So I think for that time, up until the Golden State Warriors, you had the, these, these super teams. And I think Adam Silver and the NBA – saw that and said we need to create at least a little bit more parity obviously one through 30 is not going to be great but i i think at the very least there has been a conscious effort to spread out some of that talent because you saw kevin durant go to brooklyn and you saw kyrie irving leave boston and go to brooklyn and and suddenly you have a team in the nets that is now considered one of the top teams you look at a team like the milwaukee bucks they have Giannis atenacupo and chris middleton as their it's the point I'm trying to make is a lot of these teams seem like you really need two superstars now, as opposed to three or four or five, uh, you know, those Cleveland teams, those Los Angeles teams, those the Miami Heat. Golden State team. Yeah. That Miami Heat team, Le you know, with Dwayne Wade and Bosch yeah. and, uh, and LeBron. You don't really see that now. I mean, you look at the top teams in the Eastern conference alone, again, the Nets, it's KD and Kyrie and the Bucks. Giannis and Middleton with the Celtics, Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker or Jason Tatum, you know. Uh, what about Philly? Philly, you have Embiid and, and Simmons, you know. So you do have a little bit more parity. And, and even down to teams like Indiana, you have a, a Victor Oladipo and, and Miles Turner. Is it going to win them a championship? No, but, you know, it is there, – there is more parity now, in my opinion, than there has been in years. And I think that restructure actually occurred last year. The issue is that so many guys were getting hurt last year. Even the Warriors, you know, the dynasty might be over, but they had a, they had a good team with Steph, uh, with Steph Curry and, and Clay Thompson. But, but then Clay you take Thompson those two guys off, and all of a sudden they went from – like two players can literally change your fate from being a 60 win team to a 60 loss team. Right. That that's dramatic too. And maybe it's just that basketball is conducive to that. Okay. I'll give you the Eastern conference, but give me the Western conference. It's the Clippers and the Lakers. And in literally, is there another team? It, like to me, if you're betting, and it, you know, if, if, if you're betting and if, if you do go to Bavada Sportsbook, um, they sponsored podcast. Um, Hold on. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. I can put a commercial right there. Um, uh, <laughs> three, two, one. Just the idea that if, if you were to tell me that the Clippers and the Lakers will be in the, the Western Conference Finals and none of the other teams have a shot. And what what bothers me about the NBA is it's so hard unless you get lucky where free big time free agents just want to come and play for your organization. Like a lot of these teams rebuilding process is fingers crossed <laughs> that, that these players are going to come to them. And it's just, it's a weird game. It, the NHL doesn't have that. Baseball doesn't have that. Football doesn't have that. It's literally just basketball. Yeah. I think, you know, well, are you asking me about Western conference teams or how smaller market 
team like it's uh, not smaller market because Milwaukee's a smaller market. It, it it's if you in in a cap in a cap era, I don't think big market small market makes a difference. The New York Knicks have sucked for thirty years. Yeah, that's not that's not an issue. My issue is if in, in a in a Western conference, like how does this league? Mar- I know how it markets itself because I see the marketing, but how do the Utah Jazz grow their brand or the Minnesota Timberwolves? Like these teams are mediocre at best and they have no shot at winning a title. And that seems to be weird. I'll use a college example. You know, my alma mater, Syracuse, when they were in the Big East, every third year they could win the Big East. They're never winning the ACC. They're not going to be better than Duke or Carolina ever. So, and because of that, their recruiting has suffered because they're not the sexy team anymore. Yeah. It just seems like in the NBA, um, to, to me, this has always been a top heavy league. And for its success, it needs the good teams to be great. And I don't know if I'm making a strong enough argument because maybe the trend is different. And if so, tell me. But it seems to me that this is a league where if you stink in the NBA, you're just, you, no one cares about you. Yeah, well, I think, one, there's the LeBron effect. When we talk about the West Coast, the, same, the, the Eastern Conference had all the same issues when he was with the Heat and Cleveland Cavaliers. It was basically like wherever LeBron is, there might be one team that could challenge him. Now, now he goes out West, he plays with the Lakers. And I believe that the Clippers can absolutely take them. And I think that it would be ignorant to forget about a team like the Denver Nuggets, who really almost did make the championship last year. But yes, you're hundred percent right. And, and a lot of that Western conference stuff is because LeBron is there the same way that MJ denied all those teams and great players, a championship over his tenure. So uh, you know, I, I do think like there's a blockage when you have such a dominant player like LeBron, who really has owned the NBA, even though he's lost more championships than he's won. The fact that he's just been that block in the road for one whole conference, his whole career is certainly something that, you know, you have to take into account. But, you know, for these these smaller market teams or smaller teams in general, like the Minnesota Timberwolves or whoever it might be, you know, you have, you know, you almost have to be a bad team tank or get that draft pick and and either you stockpile those assets you trade them or you stockpile them you develop them and and you hope that they actually do blossom into something good but the rebuilding process in the nba really is is a much longer one than than any other sport i mean it's just it's hard to see a team full of rookies or second year players uh come out of nowhere and 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 you know make a serious run at, at the chip the um the, the the LeBron impact has been so unique. He is such a maligned figure for being what I think is such a shrewd, smart guy. I, I have been so impressed with everything he's done. Um, my favorite thing he's did. Well, my favorite thing is the Teen Titans thing, which I'll tell you in a second. But um, my favorite thing that he did is when uh, Laura Ingram told him to shut up and dribble. And he came out with that documentary about the NBA and its history of activism. And I was like, Oh my God, that's great. And uh, th- that barbershop show that he has is fantastic. Yeah. And well, just what's your take on, on just the, the impact of LeBron on his, on the legacy of the NBA and this era of having covered him 
Uh, and then I'll tell you my Teen Titan story that every loyal listeners of the podcast have heard me tell, tell the story 7,000 times. But uh, I don't care. It's, it's, too, it's too funny. I, I think, you know, look, there are people that love him. There are people that hate him. For me, from an unbiased perspective as a person, sometimes I like to take the human out of the player and look at, you know, what LeBron James has done. And, and you look at the school that he opened up, right? And, and he did that for underprivileged kids that, that need education, that, that need that help. And that's, that's just one of many things that he's done to be an activist in his community or in this country, um, using his platform to try and, yes, bring whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, justice or equality or some sort of morality to the country and the people that are in it. Uh, I think as a human being, LeBron James is, is top notch. As a basketball player, obviously top class. And, and the reason why people hate on people is because they're so good usually, right? right. You hate it when they're at the they, they, He doesn't age and he just, he just keeps getting better as he's right. supposed to be slowing up. Right. Um, personally, as a basketball fan, I love watching him. I don't like that he's the best player in the game and he constantly complains to refs and flops. That Because I think what that did for the NBA was like, it set an example for the rest of the players around the league that they could do the same thing. If top dog is doing it, then maybe we can too. Uh, I'm not sitting here bashing LeBron James. He's the best player in the whole wide world. Everybody loves to watch him. I love to watch him, but, uh, and it's obvious the trickle effect that he's had on the league. There's just, if I had to nitpick anything, it's just that it's not appealing to me when you see the best player in the world complaining after every single call. Like I watched the first game this season very closely and you know that LeBron James was tired. They only had 71 days off in between the shortest offseason in NBA history. Crazy. And he didn't run really hard at all until there was a bad call. That was the hardest that he ran all game was at the rep. Him. Right. Yeah. He ran right at the rep. And I was like, you know, that was the, that was the fastest that LeBron has moved all day. So, yeah. you know, look, that's just me nitpicking, but you know, what he's done for the game is really very much like an MJ impact, but even more so in the sense that he's used his platform to make a documentary like you mentioned, to open a school for underprivileged kids, you know, to do all these things that really do not only just, not only for just basketball fans, but for just the average American and, and person in general to hopefully, you know, use him as a, as a role model. And a lot of kids didn't have that growing up. And when you look at LeBron James, he is a great role model, both on and off the court. He's, he's fascinating. Um, my my favorite LeBron James story, and there's already people fast forwarding the next four minutes of this podcast. I don't care. Uh, it was the year before the Cavs won the title. The first time, I think it was the first time they played the Warriors in the finals. Uh, the Warriors won, but that they didn't sweep them. The, the the Cavs won a game, and I don't remember which game it was because I heard about this story after the fact. Um, but LeBron James tweeted that he was celebrating tonight's victory with a little mini marathon of Teen Titans Go, the cartoon. And I'm a superhero nut. I host a podcast called The Hall of Justice. And the creators of Teen Titans Go apparently followed him on Twitter. And they were so shocked to see the tweet, they wrote him right back and were like, you watch our show? <laughs> like, 
do you want to be in it? We'll like write you into the storyline. And he was like, set it up, man. And I guess he DM them or something. And he did it. And I have uh, two young girls. Uh, now they're 12 and nine, but this was like good six years ago. So they were like really young. And LeBron James was in this episode where the Teen Titans go to a camp that LeBron James is, is, is appearing at. And there's a mystery and, the, you know, some crime happens. And LeBron James, there's two rules in the Teen Titans world is that LeBron James has to dribble the basketball at all times because if not, it would be traveling. And secondly, uh, he has to say the words dribble, 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 dribble. And he says it every time he walks. He goes, let's go to the shed. Dribble, 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 dribble. And he did it. And my little ones thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Now, that stuck with them. And if I go up to them right now and I say, who's your favorite basketball player? They will say LeBron James. They've never seen him play basketball. Yeah. They don't know about the barbershop. They don't know about shut up and dribble. They don't know anything. They know that. So I have said it's my personal goal. And it's funny because I started saying it right before the pandemic that when the Lakers come to the New York area, I want to go into the Lakers locker room and I want to have him on this, not this podcast, but the other podcast. And I won't ask him anything about basketball. I just want him to tell that story. Yeah. And I think it would be hysterical. And you know what? My instinct from everything I've seen from the guy, and I've never met the guy, is that he'd be totally down and he would love it and he would laugh his ass off and it would be amazing. And that's something where I think that players, and I'm, and I'm stereotyping and I don't mean to, but there are more guys like that in the NBA than the standoffish asshole types. Yeah, yeah. And, and even my own story with LeBron, Sure. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, I started when I was 18 years old. I was by far the youngest guy in that media room and in that locker room. And I remember when the Lakers, excuse me, it was the Cavaliers at the time. Cavaliers, yeah. They had come to, to Brooklyn. And that was when Jay-Z had handed out the I Can't Breathe shirts. Now, everybody and their mother oh, was wow. trying to get their, get that picture of LeBron with that shirt on a clean picture. So I'll never forget LeBron James warming up, coming up to me. He didn't say anything, but it was understood what he was doing. I was again, by far the youngest looking, the youngest there. <laughs> I was this little kid. I was this yeah, yeah, yeah. in college and he came right up to me, stretched like as if he was taking his warm up off. And let me get the cleanest picture. And I'll never forget because I was I was featured on NESN, ESPN, like cool. all these big outlets in it. And for me at the time, that was like, that was it, man. Like it was like I did it tonight. Like I I finally, you know, I broke through and it was like kind of kind of a solid from LeBron. And and even, you know, somebody that I know, a good friend of mine who's an independent photographer who takes mm -hmm. great pictures, this guy, Gemini Keys. He's an independent. He was kind of on the same boat, was on his own and didn't have a publication to work for or wasn't making any money. And LeBron James actually told everybody and all the photographers to get out of the way because I want him to take my pictures. So for all the pregame and I, you know, maybe for the other photographers, it wasn't the greatest day, but <laughs> yeah. for that one independent uh, photographer who I'm good friends with, 
who I know really worked hard for it. And LeBron would see him work hard for it. It made his whole, it made his whole day. I see him still posting pictures about it. Post that picture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, like little things like that, that he does that you might not think, or people might not really get to get to see because they're not on the ground level. They're fans and they're judging based off of this, but from a personal perspective, I was a kid. He did the right thing. I saw him do right by my friend. Cool. And and it's just these are these are the type of stories that you know people should hear because you're right. Not everybody in the NBA is some standoff, stand standoffish. They're not jerks. Like they're, there's a more them, good guys than there are jerks. Yeah, you know, Seth. A lot of them remember where they come from. You know, and and a lot of it isn't easy. So they they know what it's like. And and I think one of my favorite things was always having open conversations with the players about my life as well, because if it were a struggle or anything, they could empathize. And, and the best came Makes out. Makes a great yeah. reporter. Yep. You know? No, kudos to you for doing that. Uh, it makes you a great reporter. Um, before we wrap this up, um, and I don't want to re- end on this note, but Kyrie Irving, um, does he really think the earth is flat? Is that true? No, and, I, don't, I don't think so. And why do people in Boston and Cleveland hate him so much and why was he so rude to the media I don't have a, a, a stake in the game I could give a crap about him I don't like it when people take shots at the media and so you know Noah Syndergaard blocks me on Twitter and good for him <laughs> and I consider it a badge of honor but but uh, uh, what about this Kyrie Irving and why did he not want to talk to the media and why was he such a clown about it look I think Kyrie is very, very scrutinized, and his quotes do get taken out of context. Like a lot of other NBA players, there seems like a lot of the Boston media, Cleveland media, yeah, but and and the Knicks and New York media too kind of attack him because he didn't pick the Knicks, he picked the Nets. It seemed like since he joined the Nets, left Boston, and didn't choose the Knicks, it just seemed like everybody was kind of attacking him for no reason. And I think he got very, very flustered. And the thing with Kyrie is that, yeah, like every other human being, he has bad days and he has good days. The only problem is that it was happening way too often. You know, for me last year covering him one day, he would be all smiles. And the next you weren't exactly sure what you were going to get out of him with everything that's going on right now. Seth, the way I look at it is like, I'm not one to tell another man what he should or shouldn't do. If he doesn't want to talk to the media, that's fine. He could put his money where his mouth is. He could pay all the fines that he wants. That's up to him. But to come out and call the media pawns for misconstruing a quote. So he put out a statement through a spokesperson during media week instead of talking to the media. And it was because it was related to an incident in October when he went on Kevin Durant's podcast and said that for the first time in his career, he feels like that he has a player on his team that could actually hit the big shot, which is an indirect jab at LeBron. That's a shot. Right. And that's right. He brings this on himself. Right. So he comes out and his last tweet is, you know, I can't believe the media is turning brother against brother, this, that, and the other thing, but no, LeBron James comes out a week before media uh, media availability and training camp and says, 
I was hurt. Like, like that hurt. Like I was playing in the championship. I read that quote. LeBron James said, I told my PR person, get me the damn transcript because I need to read that. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that, yes, can things get misconstrued? Absolutely. But is everything the media's fault? No. To call them pawns is completely out of line. And in my opinion, if communication is such a problem, sometimes you have to look at yourself in the mirror and take accountability for the way you communicate. Maybe you just need to speak better so that you aren't misconstrued, so that your indirect jab at LeBron isn't going to be blamed on the media, that maybe you could take some accountability for your own actions and the way you speak. So I can't hate on him for not talking. Like, that's his decision. Again, he's his own man. But And he's talked uh, a bunch since then. Well, things have gotten better, you know. He, well, no, well, he got fined, and, and the team probably said, just talk to these idiots. on Go on Zoom for 10 minutes. How hard could it be? Right. Right. I mean, he, you know, he held his own Instagram live. That was his first way of speaking to reporters or not even reporters, just speaking to the public. And again, you know, he's a very spiritual, open-minded, free, free-spirited person, but. Uh, Does he really think the earth is flat? I don't think so. I, I, I really, He's seen the photos, right? I certainly hope not. All right. <laughs> like, I don't think. I, I don't think Kyrie is a bad guy at all. I think he's different. I think he is a bit misunderstood, but I do think that he can handle things so much better than he has. Did you ever see him at the Meadowlands when you get, were, a kid, were a kid and he was a kid? Because supposedly you both went to the Meadowlands to watch Jason Kidd. Look, no, I never saw him. I hear him talking on uh, Yes Network about the Nets, and it's like, man, I was saying that as a kid. I wanted to be like <laughs> Could you imagine? I restole my dreams. Well, I remember going to Devils games in the 80s and they didn't, you know, they didn't have a great attendance. And you could see people from your elementary school. I was in junior high. I wasn't in elementary school, but I was in junior high and I would go to the Meadowlands and you could totally see people and recognize people from game to game to game to game. Yeah. Especially with those like bright red slash pink seats, you're like. Well, and oh. there was one concourse. Remember, the, yeah. like the, the upper deck and the and the lower deck, you you, you had to leave the same way. So it was. <laughs> yeah. Martin Brodeur had the greatest line about the Meadowlands. He said, "You could have rinkside seats and still have to walk up twenty flights of stairs to get a beer." <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And still have to walk out of the same exit as everybody else. Right. Same exit. Same everything. Uh, okay. I want to end on a, on a better note uh, in your years covering the NBA. Um, who is one guy that I don't know per se, or our audience doesn't know. That's a really, really good dude that you really root for. You're talking from a personality perspective and things like just, that. Just your favorite people. Like when I was, when I was a beat reporter for a team, um, Xavier, uh, um, Nate McMillan was my guy. Dwayne Casey, they, these are coaches. They weren't, they weren't players, but Dwayne Casey was my guy. I went to a James Brown concert with Dwayne Casey and I had a, had a blast and it was so much fun. Um, I, I'm trying to think of a, 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 Vin Baker was a good guy. I yeah. like Vin Baker. I know I never went to the strip clubs with him. Um, <laughs> what's one guy that you were like, he was your go-to. He was a guy that uh, every day you, you, he knew you, you knew him and you had a great relationship and it doesn't have to be the best player on the team. It's just a player that you you root for. Somebody that when yeah. I hear it, I'm going to now root for this guy. Yeah, you know, there are a lot that I would like to name. Um, 
I want to shout out D'Angelo Russell. He's somebody that, uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like as I was getting better, at, so was he. And him and I had a really good relationship. And one day, uh, D'Angelo saw me and, and I had posted something on Twitter about my dad. My dad is a little sick. So D'Lo turned to me one day, I remember in the locker room, and he would always say what up and he, we would always have conversations. But, you know, one day he turned to me and he was like, yo, man, like I'm praying for you and your pops. Like, I, I, I'm always here. And like things like that stick with you. There's somebody else, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who actually just got dropped by the Minnesota Timberwolves and was playing with D'Angelo Russell out there. Um, he noticed something was off about me one day and he actually said, pull up a chair and let's talk. And he asked me questions about my life. I mean, this is a guy before an NBA game that asked me some young kid in the locker room that was covering for a block. That's great. He pulled up a chair and we both discussed because at the time I was losing my house and that's something that he had done. He had issues with growing up too, was that he was losing, that he had lost his house and that he was homeless. And that trickled into a great conversation, a great friendship and the first feature story that I ever wrote. And Rondé told me, there's beauty in the struggle, Pooch. He said, there's beauty in the struggle. And, and, and the beauty is that you're becoming a better person and you're becoming a better worker from it. And I'm glad that we're friends. So I root for somebody like that all the time. Just sure. Basis. I think it's, I think it's great. I'm so glad that you've been on the show. Like it's, it's so great to hear stories like that. It's so great to hear of your success now. Um, and it's, it's amazing to know that there are so many untold things that I think people need to uh, hear these stories so that yeah. it makes them look at sports differently. And I, I hope this is the kind of stuff uh, that you put in the association. And if there's anything I can do to help, uh, let me know, because I, I, I think that the stories that you can tell from your years so far, and you're so stinking young, um, are fascinating. And I don't have to kiss your ass anymore because you've already been on the goddamn show. So it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> no, I appreciate that stuff. You know, I, I could I could talk for days. So anytime that you want to chat, I'm always oh, here. be careful because, you know, I got I got I got a pandemic here. It was so funny because in the beginning of the pandemic uh, on the podcast, people would tweet me and they would go, who are you having on the podcast now? And I would be like, hey, I'm going to text LeBron because, you know, everybody's stuck at home anyway. So yeah. it was everybody was sitting at home like nobody was doing anything. So what was the difference? We tried and we had a month uh, where we had the busiest people in sports who were stuck at home. So there was a month where we had Kenny Albert. Ian Eagle and uh, Chris Majkowski, who's the uh, studio uh, engineer for the Mets, the Jet, the Giants, the Knicks, the Rangers, St. John's and uh, Westwood one. He's out 320 nights a year and the guy's been climbing his walls. And I said, oh, my God, he'll never say yes to the podcast in normal times. Let's let's have him on. And it was just so funny to have busy, uh, busy people. But I like that. This is why we created the show, you know, it, to have the ability to just talk about these kinds of things and stuff that doesn't uh get 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 seen um how can people find you online uh how can people reach out to you and how can they sign up for the association yeah so i know um, how but you tell me (laughs) sign up is easy you just go to the association.com put in your email and you'll be getting a welcome email from myself personally and 
You'll get nice. an email 3 p.m. every day, the newsletter, Monday through Friday. You could reach me at a pooch on Twitter, at a pooch on Instagram. And if you want to just talk hoops, life, whatever it might be, just Anthony at the association.com. It's real simple there, Seth. Oh, that's very easy. Uh, that's, that's great. Well, uh, if there's anything that you heard today here on the show, uh, since you know now Anthony is online, uh, do me a favor, reach out to him directly and uh, leave me the hell out of it. Uh, don't don't even bother uh, with me. Anthony, happy new year, man. Good luck with the association. And uh, I'm so glad. Thanks so much for doing this. No, Seth, thanks so much for having me on. And happy new year to you and your family. The, uh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. To everyone, stay safe. Do me a favor. Don't go anywhere. Don't be one of the million people that I see in the airport every goddamn day. Uh, please take it easy. Uh, we have a, some great podcast planned for two, 2021. Uh, we'll continue with much more on Sports with Friends. Thank you to all the folks who subscribe, who rate and review. And don't troll me on Twitter. I love all those people. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We will see you next year. I love saying that. We'll see you next Next year here on Sports with Friends. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. You'll never be in doubt. That's what it's all about. Take me for granted and smile Come on, please, I'm gone Forget reaching me by phone Because I promise I'll be gone for a while When you see me again I hope that you have been